Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And really today, I really hope more than normal that you really don't hear a sermon. I, I really hope this doesn't turn into a sermon today. I really hope it doesn't even turn into a teaching. I, I really just want this to be a conversation we're having because um, this is so essential. This is so essential that every one of us leave here not having information, but truly letting these verses uh, change our life. And so it would be an absolute shame if you got some nice information in the warehouse of your mind or, you know, you went home and typed in a few more theological statements you got. You know, it would be a crying shame if that happened because... These verses are meant to, to be life-changing verses and, and that today we would all sense that by the power of God's Spirit, we allow these verses to, to change us. And the way we came in, the way we went out uh, are two different ways. And so we're, we're here and just really saying, Lord, you know, do what you need to do um, in us and, and through us. And, you know, we all to some degree, you know, Sunday morning, you know, get our church mode going, you know. Maybe you cook breakfast a little different or dress a little different or, you know, you, you know, you get in the church mode and you sort of came and you parked and, you know, everybody's somewhat in church mode. I really would just love to take us all out of church gear right now, okay, and just say, hey, family meeting here, family time. Let's all sit down here and uh, I, I'm going to be the one talking, but we're all going to have the same discussion here. Uh, on these verses because it would just be horrible if somebody said, man, that was, a, that was a great sermon, you know, and Brian tied all those beautiful verses together like a beautiful pearl necklace and, you know, wow, what a, what a beautiful thing. I, I'm going to do everything I can not to be eloquent of speech. You know, I really don't want to be, uh, if, you, if you would, uh, a good sermoneer this morning. Um, I hope it's not really that informational. I, I really hope you don't learn anything new today, to be honest with you. And, and I really hope it's not inspirational either. But really by the, the Spirit and the power of God, we are all changed. And uh, it's so, so important that we allow um, these verses to do that this morning. And, and if that didn't happen, then the whole morning's been a failure. Because these verses are, are not meant to be informational or inspirational. They are meant to cut right to the core of things. And every one of us are changed. We start here in chapter 12. And Paul starts out, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. The word beseeched here is I'm begging you. I mean, imagine if you would, here this morning, the apostle Paul on his hands and knees, pulling on my pant leg, saying, Brian, I beg you. Tears in his eyes, maybe crying out, I beg you, I beg you. And a crowd of people start looking and forming around me. And why is this guy on his hands and knees, pulling on his leg, begging him? It's meant to be uncomfortable. It's meant to be, if you would, sort of drastic. And, and Paul is saying here, we've just covered 11 chapters of, of the truth of God, the truth of man, the truth of the world, the truth of the devil, 
the truth of the past, present, future. We as Christians, we're not, we're not built on a religion. We are built on the truth. And Jesus said we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. And so God wants us to know the truth and then from that truth we live that truth. Now the religion, you see, basically says, hey, you know, let's get the outside looking religious in our form that we want, you know. Maybe it's shaving your head or a ponytail or getting your hair cut or wearing a suit or chanting or burning candles or, you know, repeating a list of prayers or whatever that religion might look like. And if we can get you in this form get you dressing like this and looking like this and talking like this, we believe as you stay in that religious form, eventually that religious form will start changing your insides and you'll become a conformed person. The Bible says the absolute opposite. The Bible actually says that when you put religious forms on people, it causes them to want to rebel more than ever. That, that what, what's to take place is inside us, a real thing happened. And here he's talking now to Christians. If you're not a believer here today, you need to receive Christ. You're not going to understand this message. The Bible says the natural man, the non-regenerated person, the person who the Holy Spirit's not living in, cannot understand the things of the Spirit. And that's what we're talking about today. Things of the Spirit. And so here, if a person's been a born-again believer... God's Spirit lives in you and you are justified. And now as a justified person inside, we begin to f- discover that how we're acting on the outside isn't necessarily appropriate. Because we're knowing God, we're knowing His thoughts, His heart, His mind, and, and Jesus, we sense His Spirit in us saying, and I wouldn't talk like that. That's not the attitude I would have. That's not the way I would dress, address that situation. And we find ourselves changing because there's a real living God who lives in our hearts. And it's not, man, you've got to stop cussing because the outward form of us religious people don't like that kind of talk. Oh man, I don't want to upset people. So I'm trying not to cuss because I don't want anybody down at the church to hear about it. And uh, I don't want anybody who knows that I'm a Christian to not think I'm a Christian. So I got this outward shell and I'm really trying hard and you know, really working at it. And all you're going to do is just create a tension and a tension until you pop. But if something happens in your heart and it's, you know what? It's just not me anymore. <laughs> when that stuff comes out my mouth, it's just so abnormal now. It, it doesn't fit me anymore. And I don't really feel that kind of anger like I used to. I don't feel that frustration like I used to. I, I find instead of wanting to cuss the guy out, I, I want to just tell him I love him and and I'm praying for him, and, but it sounds too crazy. Do you do that? I mean, that's, that's sort of crazy. You know? It feels right. I mean, they're, they're, because you've really been born again. Now, that process from justification, the moment you receive Christ in your life, there's a new process that begins, and that's what we're talking about really from this point forward in the rest of the book, and that is sanctification. In essence, it's this. What happened on the inside is now happening on the outside. So who you really are, righteousness of Christ on the inside, it begins to reveal itself on the outside. And that's a process that we very much have to be a part of. Without him, we can't. But without us, he won't. And so there's the work of sanctification that we're talking about. Now, in all of Paul's letters, he does this. 
The first part of the book is giving you good, solid doctrine to build up the inner man. You see, you've been justified, and you're a spirit being, but your, your spirit being now needs to be built up with truth and doctrine. And, and as you grow in the Lord, now you're strengthened in the inner man. Now he can say, do this, and you're doing it because you're, you're strong. You've had a lot of nutritions, a lot of good meat and potatoes, and, you're, and now from a healthy point of view, you can begin to yield yourself unto God that he can do that work of sanctification. And so, in essence here, if we were to go backwards and look at the first 11 chapters, a lot of great, meaty stuff about God, about you, about our planet, about past, present, and future. And all of that truthful information, not religious information, not a bunch of philosophy or theology of of man, but the truth. We can now understand the truth and, and step forward. And he says, I beg you guys, by the mercies of God. You know, we just sort of ended in chapter 11 there. And in verse 32, remember, he, he says that, that he might have mercy on all. And he talked about mercy quite a bit in chapter 11. And then he sort of goes off in verse 33 of chapter 11. Oh, the depth of both the riches, the wisdom, the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, his ways past finding out. For he who has known the mind of the Lord that we may become his counselor, who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul just sort of at the end of the doctrinal section of his letter just sort of goes off and goes, Oh man, there's so much. The riches of his knowledge, his wisdom. And, and here we just sort of finish talking about mercy. But to be honest with you, the mercies of God, as great as they are, are sort of down on the list of, of really the great things that God's offered to us. I mean, one, he's offered us his love. <laughs> we saw in chapter 8, his love for us, either height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things that come can separate us from that love. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. I mean, if there's something to respond to, there you go, love, man. He has just flooded us with his love. What about grace? <laughs> man, I talked a lot about grace. I mean, one of the greatest verses in the Bible on grace is there in Romans 5, where our sin abounds, what? His grace abounds more. Boy, grace, that's, that's up there. If it's not at the top of the list, it's one of the top two. Of course, we can talk about his forgiveness and his compassion and his kindness. I mean, there's so much. Mercy is, is wonderful. I mean, boy, I couldn't imagine how to make it without God's mercy. But in essence, he's saying, let's just sort of take even one of the bottom things on the list of what God has lavished upon you, his mercies. And just thinking about that, I mean, I mean, if we went to love or grace or some of these other things, I mean, it would be overwhelming. Let's just take sort of one of the, the lesser blessings, one of the bl- lesser treasures that are coming from God, just His continuous mercies that are new every morning. Just respond to that. What is that response? That you would present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He says here, let me explain what your response should be. Now, we are all at various places in our pilgrimage as a Christian. I mean, just like children. I mean, you, you remember when as the children are young, you know, you got your 
five, six, seven-year-old kid, and it's birthday time, and, you know, here comes aunt and uncle, and they give them this present, and they're like, ah, they rip it open, and ah, their eyes get big. It's, you know, greens and reds and blues. I don't know what it is, but it's your pretty, and ah, you know. And what's their, what's their thing? It's just to focus on the present and rip into it and ignore everybody. What's mom and dad say? Say thank you. <gasps> Thanks, huh? You know. Do you look at the card? Who gives a rip about the card? Uh, you know. It, it, you're just sort of abs- absorbed in the present. But, you know, as you get older, you've got to go buy the presents, right? And you realize, man, it's... It's not so easy. What would they like? And you walk around, you plan on spending 15 minutes, an hour and a half later, you know, you got to narrow down to five things and you're still not sure and then you got to get the right paper and the right card and, you know, there's a lot of energy gone into this thing and, and now you finally put that present before them and now you, you realize, wow, when people gave me presents, man, that was, that was a lot of work. <laughs> And you really do now, in maturity, if you would, do have an appreciation. You, you realize the value of a dollar, and you realize what it cost them, the value of time, what it cost them, the, the, the energy it went in to, to wrap it and bring and come and take the time out of your day. And you, you, you do really look at the present before you even open it. It's like, thanks. You know, thanks for your time being here. Thanks for your time buying this thing. And, Thanks for your effort, wrapping it so nicely. And you know, whatever the present is, I, just, I, I really do appreciate it. It's a mature response, right? And, and so with us, too, we, we, we are all in various places in our, in our maturity as believers. And then Paul is, in essence, saying, and really it's not just Paul. We know that all the scriptures, uh, author is the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is begging us. The Holy Spirit is, is pleading with you today to have a proper response. Just, let's just take the bottom of, of the list here, the mercies of God alone. Just in that alone, even though there's things far greater than that, should cause us to present our bodies. Now, now, don't get mixed up here on the word body. I mean, it's just an earth way of talking, or your whole being. You know, we're, we're sort of limited. You know, when we look at the body, it sort of contains the spirit and the soul. It's, it's sort of the whole package, right? You know, it's sort of the, the, the tool bag with all the tools in it. So we're talking about the body. We're not saying, oh, I've got to just give my body, but my spirit, my soul. If, oh, I don't have to give that. No, it's talking about the whole enchilada, okay? And there's that point where we come to realize... God has given himself for us. God gave his only begotten son. There is nothing that God held back. There's not like something that's like, well, I gave my only begotten son, but I held out this little treasure over here. I didn't give man. I gave him my son, but I didn't give... No. When the father gave the son, there was nothing else. All the treasure of heaven was given when he gave his son to come in human flesh, to be our sacrifice, to die and pay for our sins. God gave his sacrifice totally, completely, and holding nothing back. And in essence, now he's saying the proper response for us is to say, here am I, in my totality. 
In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, that all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a logical, reasonable response that if one was so willing to give his total being to die for our sins, that the proper response would be willing to totally give back to him in totality the body he saved. I mean, this body, he saved it. This body was useless, fruitless, selfish and self-centered and, and condemned unto hell. And now God has saved this. If you, if you would, you were in the quicksand. <laughs> and you were gone under. Your little finger was sticking out of the quicksand. And all of a sudden, the Lord came by and grabbed that finger and pulled you out. And you're alive. You were dead. Your, your, your body, your life was gone. It was over. But you're alive when you should be dead. And you're going, wow, I have a new leash on life. What do I do now with this? And this is what he is saying. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So really, when we're talking about giving ourselves as a living sacrifice, we're not talking about giving something that's ours to God. We already are God's. If you're a believer here today, we are already owned by Him. The, the, the Bible says, God speaking, the earth is the Lord's and what? All that's in it. <laughs> and especially us who are born-again believers, we are made alive who were once dead in our trespasses and sins. And so really, we're not giving to God something that we possess, that we own. We're really yielding to Him that He can use something that is His. So we're really saying, it's my life, my body, my soul, my spirit, my past, my present, my future, all that I am, all that I ever will be, all whatever power of position or influence I have, it's all yours, God, to begin with. But yet, it's not being useful to you because this tool is not yielded to you. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 20 and 21, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, Useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So in essence here, Paul, the Holy Spirit, is saying, guys, I've just given you 11 chapters of amazing truth about God. His great love for you, His grace, His mercies, His kindness, His compassion. 
Man, he has given everything, his only begotten son, to come into human flesh, to be a man acquainted with grief and sorrow, to ultimately die on the cross for you, that you could be yielded to him for his use. And this is what he says, that you present your body a living sacrifice. How? Holy and what? Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You see, we've done sort of an amazing thing in the last few decades, really. Maybe a maybe hundred years of Christianity. But there's so many people that sort of build their own Christianity that pleases them. They, they, they've looked at the verses of the Bible that suit them or don't suit them, and they, they've created what's acceptable to them. Now, I understand some Christians see Christianity this way, but that's not acceptable to me. That would require too much money. It would require too much time. It would require too much sacrifice. It would cause me to have to serve, maybe travel. I, I just, I, that's not my priorities. It's not acceptable to me if Christianity is like this. Now, I see other people that have Christianity like this. That's a little more acceptable to me, but still a little more sacrificing than I care to do. So, I am going to create a new one, and I hope a number of you will follow along with me on this. Because I I don't want to be lonely over here by myself in this new acceptable Christianity that I've created. But a lot of you guys are going to like it, because there's almost no sacrifice here. It only requires you to go to church once a week. Four or five times a year. I had a guy this last week. He, we were talking and I told him as a pastor. He goes, yeah, I go such and such a church. I said, really, where is that? And he goes, I said, how long have you been going there? Oh, 30 years. I said, really, well, how often do you go? Oh, five times a year. 30 years, five times a year. Where is it at again? I'm not sure. It's over on this street and by that. I'm not really. I'm just like, dude. You've even been there five times in 30 years. You should know where it's at. I mean, give me a break. Well, you know, I like to think I go five times a year. I don't really go five times a year. I'm like, dude, you haven't been in 30 years. I mean, Chula Vista is not that big or complicated. (laughs) And, but in his mind, you know, he was, there was no room for improvement with him and the Lord. There was no room for growth. All that he didn't know about the Bible, he already knew it. And things are great. And of course, I'm meditating on these verses and I'm, I'm going, you know, I, I can't point my finger at that guy. Because t- in some degree, I think we all sort of do that. We, we sort of say, Lord, here's a sacrifice. Just a little bit. <laughs> and God is saying, no. It's the full sacrifice. All your body, all your soul, all your spirit, all that you possess, all that you have, all that you are. And it's not just a one-time sacrifice. There's a lot of people saying, I'm willing to sacrifice myself. A lot of people want to die right now. It's sort of sad. Life on earth is sort of depressing. People are saying, man, I get hit by a truck tomorrow. It's fine with me. I've got a lot of emotional pain, a lot of financial pain, a lot of physical pain. A lot of pain about work and 
education and kids and parents and sort of depressing right now. And Lord, I'm willing to die for you. I mean, die. I mean, really die. If it happens quickly, like today. You know, that's just wrong. The, the, the whole point of, of our life is a life of difficulty and suffering. And no matter how much physical or emotional or difficulties may come, pain, we just need to suck it up every day and just say, you know what? I'm, I'm following the Lord. In health or sickness. In strength or weakness. Whatever it is. I'm not checking out of here until the Lord has clearly poured out the sands of my life. And it's over. No, God's, God's asking us to live. <laughs> he's, he's basically in essence saying, I'm counting on you living. It, the, the whole point of the sacrifice is that you are living. If you die, then the sacrifice is over. If you think about it, when we leave this body and we go to be with the Lord, there's never an opportunity to sacrifice again. Are you going to sacrifice time and eternity? Are you going to give up a Saturday forever in heaven? Is there going to be some physical pain in lifting something when you're in heaven? There's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. You think about it, this is it, the day you were born, the little slash, the day you died, that little tiny slash is the only time in eternity you have a chance to sacrifice. There's only right now, while you're in this human flesh, where there's pain and suffering and sorrow and difficulty, this is the only time you can show a love to God that you'll never be able to show again throughout all of eternity by giving yourself sacrificially, sacrificially to him. And I, you know, I, I don't mean one time, I mean several times a day that we constantly come to that place where our flesh wants to do this or we want to give our life to please us in this way. I'm sacrificing this much, but that way I get this much for me. I'll give up that amount of time as long as I get all this time for me. I'll sacrifice this finance as long as I get this finances for me. As long as life pleases me this way, I'm willing to sacrifice that little bit over there. And, and in essence, God's saying, no, your life is mine. It's just a vapor of time. You're in, you're out of here in, in a heartbeat to begin with. And you're going to have all of heaven at the right hand of God. You're going to have pleasures forevermore. It tells us in the psalm, you know, you're going to have all eternity for you to be pleased. But right now is a time that I want you to give your body a sacrifice, holy and acceptable in my terms of acceptability. Not, not what's acceptable to you, but what's acceptable to me. So I had somebody last night come up and say, after the message saying, okay, Brian, um, Explain to me now, how many minutes a day do I need to read my Bible? They're writing it down. How, many, how long do I need to pray every day? And how many people a week should I witness to? And I'm like, you know, Paul could have done that. Paul could have said, okay, looking at the mercy of God, number one, an hour a day in the Bible. Number two, 15 minutes, four times a day of praying. No less than 10 people a year you've tried to lead to Christ, assuming two of them actually came to Christ. I mean, God doesn't do that kind of weird stuff, does he? 
Because then we would say, oh, 100% sacrifice is an hour a day reading the Bible. The Bible says meditate in the word day and night. How much do you pray? Without ceasing. (laughs) In him we live and move and have our being. What does it look like to to give your bodies a living sacrifice? I think every day it looks different. I think there's a, there, every season it's different. But I think it's the constant yieldedness of the will that happens several times a day, going, my life is no longer my own, but yours, God. I'm not here for my pleasure, but your pleasure. I'm not here to tell that guy what's acceptable to me, but I'm here to tell him what's acceptable to you. And there's that constant yieldedness of the will. I am yours, God. You bought me with the price. Here I am. I am an instrument in your hands. I want to be a, a tool that's useful unto you. I want to be a vessel of honor. You know, you guys know people like that, right? I, I know some Christians. And when they are walking in the Spirit, I mean, they are just a powerhouse for God. I mean, they just bless so many people. I mean, not just in a small area. I mean, around the world. They just, you know, they just, their life is exuberant. Then they go through the valley. And then all of a sudden, they're like a tornado, equally hurting as many people. And they're just sort of almost like the plague you've got to stay away from. And then they're back in the spirit, and they're just this wonderful fruitful person again and you know the, the, the thing is is that God has made us to bear much fruit and I think there's a, a point where some people reading this maybe say man I, I remember when I first gave my life to Christ I just surrendered it all and I couldn't get enough of the word enough of prayer I shared the Lord with everybody and, and it was I was like this you know, I always picture an orange tree. I grew up in orange groves, and I just think of those orange trees just loaded. You ever see them? It's like you can hardly see the leaves, just like a solid orange. And there's just hundreds of oranges there. You know, when we bear fruit, it's not so the tree can eat its own fruit. You don't see the orange tree going, oh, I love oranges. Oh. You know, it bears the fruit. It doesn't eat the fruit. It's for others to be refreshed from its fruitfulness. And some of you used to be like that orange tree just loaded down, weighed down. And daily, numbers of people can take this verse, that prayer, that hug, that smile, that word and season, and and you're just like, it's fruitful. And now through circumstances of life, you've come to this thing and you got five oranges a year. But you're proud of them. Just last May... I shared a verse with a guy and he was really blessed. There was one of my oranges. I got four left. You know, it's like, you know, five fruits in a year excites you now when you used to give out five fruits every 10 minutes. Something's changed that's not healthy, that's not right. There's some point where you quit giving yourself as that living, holy sacrifice to God in a way that was acceptable to him. And he says here, this is a reasonable service. It's logical. Any, any other response would be stupid. <laughs> any other response to just the mercies of God alone would, would be illogical. You know, we with uh, our leadership in the last 
few weeks, months, have been sort of going through, not these verses and not talking in these words, but the same thing. Where we're sort of coming back to the place and saying, you know, have we sort of gotten into a comfortable place that's acceptable to us? Sort of living the minimal as a Christian leader here in the church and and just seeing sort of, if you would, the decline of, of passion, of, of willingness to sacrifice and to give, a willingness to even to come more than to church one time a, a week, Sunday nights and midweek and fellowships and so forth. And, 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 and really, as Christian leaders, we were at somewhat a healthy place, but everybody else was at an even less healthy of a place. And God just really put a fire under us and pierced our hearts. And in the last several weeks, there's just been this stirring, this, this deeper surrendering of our life saying, I'm willing. I'm willing to sacrifice myself. And I'm willing that my family also will be, also be sacrificing themselves. Whether it's coming to church Sunday night or being involved in ways that the Lord's leading us. And it's the only reasonable service. Guys, we're here just for a minute. And, and you know what? We're, we, we know, don't we? I mean, as a country, we're in decline. You know, all the king's horses and all the king's men doesn't look like they're going to be putting this Humpty Dumpty American back again. I mean, I, I just I don't think you can lower the taxes enough or get enough jobs going. I mean, we're, we're, we're in a bad place, and, and we know it. And, and I think if you look at it, we're under judgment of God. We're, 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 we stand for righteousness. We don't anymore. Much is given, much is required. We've been given more than any nation in all the history of mankind. It's hard to get a rich man to heaven, you know. It's like getting an eye through a needle. It's hard to get a rich nation to humble itself before God. And so we're in the, we're in the place that, I mean, attack for sure is going to come. I mean, the, the odds of war on our country... I would say are, are very, very good by China, Arab countries, Russia. I mean, I could, I could definitely see it. I, I, don't, I don't think that we can sit here and say we're all going to die of old age, things status quo. I mean, I think if we're honest, especially if you know prophecy, we're in the last days. I mean, the, the, the amount of time we have to give ourselves sacrificially. I mean, it's hard for me just looking at the signs of the times that we would actually make it to old age. That in the next few years, decade, for sure, that we would see the rapture of the church. I wouldn't be surprised at all. So to say that you got 20 years, 30 years to figure this out or to get it down, yeah, you know, that giving my body is a sacrifice thing, yeah, in the next 20, 30 years, I should really try to work that into my life. I just don't think you have that kind of time. I, I really think that there's a point in time that we have to say today is that day. And whatever comes, whether it's war or poverty or pestilence or the disease or the national calamities, the, the economic calamities, whatever comes, you know, as we are in Him, living and moving and having our being, He's our shepherd. We don't have to worry about what we're going to eat or drink. Or where? He's going to take care of all those things. So even though the whole world is in great worry and concern, we are just 
in a very sweet spot in the Lord. If you would sort of picture the Apostle Paul, the aged Apostle Paul, grabbing a hold of your pant leg right now and, and, and crying out, I beg you, please, I'm begging you, don't live fruitless. Don't live minimally. Don't, don't live the life you've been living as a Christian in the low fashion that you've been living. Quit trying to make church a one-time-a-week thing. Quit trying to make the Word something you go to at as you feel about it. Feel good about it. I read the Word this week. Why? Oh, I just felt like it. Stop that. Give yourself diligently to the Word of God unto prayer, unto serving, sharing the Lord in season and out of season. Come back to that place to fully be on fire for the Lord again, surrendering your life unto Him as is holy, as is acceptable. It's the only logical response. Any other thought process is stupid. And then in verse 2, the negative side of the coin, do not be conformed to this world. You know, one thing that always amazes me is where people come and just say, man, I had that one little compromise and my whole world exploded. You know, I lost my marriage, my kids, my health, my finances, whatever. And it it always amazes me that they think there was just one little step of compromise. And it's, it's always hard for them to see that, look, if you had one step of compromise, isn't there a possibility you had one in front of that? Yeah, there was a one in front of that. Well, when did that, was that when it started, that one in front of that? Oh, there might have been one in front of that too. Yeah, it it was. I I agree, this last compromise was a little compromise, but the thing is, is when you add that one little compromise to the thousand other little compromises over the last five years, all those little compromises together make a huge compromise. (laughs) Well, how did it happen? It happened by conformity to the world. See, the world doesn't come like a freight train, (laughs) hits you. It it comes very slowly. The word conform here, it's like if you were going to make a bust of somebody and you took some warm clay and you very gently mushed the warm clay onto their face and and got their outline and pushed it around their eyes and their nose and their lips and, and then you let it cool a little bit and you gently took it off. And then you let it dry. And then you take now... The, whatever you're going to make the bust out of and you pour it into that mold and now you break that mold it looks just like that person's face this is what it's saying is that we have become the warm clay and we have just slowly warmed up to the world until we have fashioned ourselves around it and this is why evil doesn't seem evil and good doesn't seem good if we look back four, five, ten years, you'd say, man, that used to grieve me, but now I just find it no big deal. But yet the Bible says it's a big deal. But why can't I feel it's a big deal? Why do I look at that going, yeah, the Bible says that's sin, and I think, yeah, live and let live. I'm okay, you're okay. It's a sin, but with a little less. Now, I used to, Five years ago, ten years ago, whatever it was, man, it was a sin. And I felt it. But I don't anymore. But I can say the flip side of the coin's 
It's true too. I, I, I worship and I just, you know, it's songs and I hear them and I, you know, I used to, my heart just used to open up to heaven and oh, I worship the Lord and now I sing. It's good. I'm sort of glad when it's over with because that means we're getting closer to the sermon, to the service ending. What's happened here? What's gone wrong? Well, you've been conformed. And until that break is over, until you clearly seen my life is conformed to the world, and you smash that, and there's no more conformity to the world, you can't move forward. The claws of Satan, the claws of the world are in you, and you can run as hard as you want, but you're not going anywhere. You're just standing in place. The other side of the coin is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed here is where we get our word metamorphosis from. You know, there's a wonderful thing, and even scientists, if they'll be honest with you, just sort of are in amazement at the caterpillar turning to a butterfly. Because it is just sort of a, a freak thing in nature. You, you got this fat, little, slow-moving caterpillar climbing down under the bottom of a plant, down in the damp, dark places, slithering along, blending into the various colors of the plant, chewing away. And then one day it begins to spit out and make a cocoon. And that plumpy little caterpillar, now you just see this weird-looking little cocoon thing. And it sits there and sits there and then it liquefies. Inside, it actually, the body liquefies. It's still alive, interesting enough, but it's completely liquefied. And then after it completely liquefies, it begins to become a body again. Not a fat little chunky, lumpy, slow moving with a thousand little legs. But all of a sudden it begins to chew its way out and it's light. It's airy. It's multicolored, beautiful butterfly. No longer climbing down around the low, damp, dark plants, but up in the air, in the sun, Light, lighter than any feather just floating along on the wind. Something that you didn't even care to see before, sort of a gross-looking little bug down there. And I had one time I was out at Otai here fishing and wouldn't catch anything, and there was a, there was a caterpillar there. And, and the guy grabbed it and said, oh, I'll try this, see if the fish will bite this. And he put the caterpillar on, and the caterpillar bit him. And his finger swole up bigger than I've ever seen a finger swell up. It was huge. And we're like, do we take you to the emergency room or what? But that little caterpillar did not want the hook to go down its mouth. I, I don't know why. But anyway, but the thing's full of poison. But then at the butterfly, it's just an amazing, beautiful, one of the most beautiful creatures on earth. And if you would, God did that to tell us, to explain to us the sanctification process going on. There's a liquefaction process going on with us. We're being liquefied. Our old, deep, dark, damp place lifestyle needs to end. We need to let the cocoon process happen so we can chew our way out and become that butterfly that God wants us to become. And and this is what he's saying. Paul actually uses the same word one other time in his writings in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says this, 
But we all, with unveiled face, beholding in the mirror the glory of the Lord, and being, here's that word, transformed, metamorphosized, into what? The same image. How's it happening? From glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. God's Spirit is turning us into the butterfly that we'll look and talk and walk just like Jesus. I love that in the book of Acts where the apostles were arrested and, and here's all of these university Pharisees and they looked at them and said, well, we discern they're all unlearned and uneducated men. But we're also very impressed with them. The only thing that we can attribute to them is they've been with Jesus. The unique quality about them that causes us to be even amazed is they've been with Jesus. It was just the scent of Jesus, the look of Jesus, the smile of Jesus. I, you, know, you ever notice that when you start hanging out with people, you actually start getting their taste in clothes and hairstyles and, and expressions on the face? You ever notice that married people are married for a while, they start looking like brother and sister? It's like, how does that happen? Years of, uh, you know, making the same facial expressions. Or I, I don't know what it is. That's with us, with Jesus. I, I love that story of the transfiguration you know, where Peter, James, and John, they all went up together. And, and there was, I love that, Moses and Elijah transfigured just like Jesus. I don't know what we're going to be like, kids, but I know that when we see him, we'll be like him and Elijah and Moses just like Jesus, they were transformed. And it said, I don't know how to describe it. I would say white, but it's not white. It's whiter than any white that earth possesses. There was just this radiant, glowing. But remember, Jesus said, let's go up and pray. And in this place of prayer, there the presence of Jesus became glorified. And then Peter, talking when he shouldn't have, hey, let's build three tabernacles. And what did the Father say? Listen to him. Listen to Jesus, the Word. What do we have? We have them coming with Jesus to be in prayer. We have the Father saying, listen to Jesus, the Word. And what is causing them to see Jesus in His glorified state? That's where we need to be. Okay, did you hear all that God did for you? Now here's what you need to do. Live in the presence of Jesus. Live in that place of praying without ceasing. Meditating the word day and night. Let your body in this little vapor of time we live, let this little, this only opportunity we ever have to sacrifice your life be sacrificial. Sacrifice your life. No longer acceptable to you. My time, my energy, my lifestyle. This is, I've created this world, my world, that's acceptable to me and here's a little for you and a little for you and a little for you and here's a little bit more for God because, you know, he deserves a little more than everybody else. But no. My life is stopped. Mold is broken. What is acceptable to you, God? And notice here, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind Can we do it? I mean, is God telling us, be better than you are? Is God saying to you, you need to start being holier than you are? We can't. I mean, that's what we've learned in the whole book of Romans. We cannot improve ourselves. 
How does it happen? By the Holy Spirit. In Titus 3, 5. Not by the works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and what? Renewing of the Holy Spirit. You see, as we yield ourselves unto God, as we spend time in his glorious presence, as we're in that communion with prayer with him, as our ears are listening to him, as we are yielding ourselves daily as a living sacrifice, we're going to be changed. We're going to become walking and talking and living like Christ. And here's a great benefit to that as we finish up here this morning. That you may prove, test, what's the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That you can come to not just bear 30-fold or 60-fold, but 100-fold. I I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I think we all have at some point. Maybe you played tennis. I did a lot of tennis when I was in high school. And there's that place where your racket, your your hip, your arm, your everything hits that ball. And all of a sudden, it takes off like a rocket. You hit the sweet spot. Maybe racquetball or catch a wave. You ever catch the wave at that perfect moment in time? And that wave just grabs you and all the power of the, the wave and you're on it. And it's just, oh, you're in that sweet spot. God wants us to live in that perfect sweet spot. Where every word of our mouth, it says in Peter, is as if it were the oracles of God. That we have a perfect love towards one another. That the peace of God rules in our heart. That every part of us, every touch, heals. Every smile brings a blessing. Every word of our mouth and every thought of our heart is beautiful and perfect and acceptable to Him. And, and we're not just bearing fruit. It's just, I, I love that story in, in Acts where the, the apostle's shadow fell on people and they were healed where they took Paul's rags from wiping the sweat off his brow as he was knitting tents and took them and laid them on six people and demon-possessed people and they were healed. There's just a sweet place where the power of God and the love of God and the presence of God and and Him we're living and moving and having our being and we're, we're experiencing that perfect will of God. Now, it's one of the number one questions that leaders get asked. Hey, can you help me know the will of God? And so often people are are saying, I don't want to live on the narrow road that leads to life. That's too sacrificial. I want to live over here on another road, and you're my connection. (laughs) So tell me what is God's perfect will without me having to live in God's perfect will. So I'm over here on some back road, you know, getting car sick, turning and corning, and my tires are getting blown out, and, you know, I'm on this rugged, difficult road, and I, I can see the freeway every once in a while over there. And just tell me, the, you know, tell me God's perfect will. I don't want to live in God's perfect will. I just want to know His perfect will. And the Bible c- continually says, when you are a person of God's will, you will be a person in God's will. God will shut the doors that need to be shut and open the doors that need to be open as we're on the hills of our shepherd. And so often people are saying, I I, I want all the blessings of God without having to live for God. I want all the benefits of the Christian life without having to live the full Christian life. And guys, there, there is no such thing. And unfortunately what churches have done, 
around the world, especially in our country, has basically created a Christianity that's acceptable to you. They did the studies even. They did demographic studies. And they asked the people, what's acceptable to you? Well, a church 45 minutes long. This many songs. This kind of music. This kind of coffee. This kind of thing for our kids. Give me, give me what's acceptable unto you. What's a sacrifice acceptable unto you? And that's what we'll do. We will create a Christianity fits you perfectly. Very little sacrifice. Very little effort. And in essence, Paul's coming back here saying, you know what? I beg you, I beg you, I beg you, Christians, who God's Holy Spirit lives in, who soon you're going to be face to face with God, that in this little vapor of time, that not tomorrow, not 10 years from now, but today, that you give your body a living sacrifice. Deny yourself daily. Take up that cross. Holy, acceptable to God. It's your only logical response. There is no other reasonable response to Christ than that. That you could experience the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Amen? Lord, we thank you for your word today. And we do know, God, as we just sort of had a family time here to discuss this issue, God, because... We want our church to be an on-fire church, Lord. We want every one of us to come in the Spirit, just bearing fruit to one another, blessing one another. Lord, we, we want Sunday nights to be packed out with passionate people wanting to praise you, not bummed out because they've got to go to church twice on Sunday. We want our kids growing up, knowing so much about you. On the front row of the afterglow at 6 years old and 12 years old and 18 years old, God's Holy Spirit falling upon them over and over again, then being filled with the Spirit over and over again. We want our homes, Lord, to be a godly place. We want our lives to be a godly place. Lord, we know you're not going to give us some list. There's no cheesy way out of this. It's daily wrestling match of our will being yielded unto you. Lord, I ask tonight as we come back that, that there would be a response this evening to our yieldedness in worship, a yieldedness as we take a communion, a joy, Lord, in the baptisms. Lord, a joy, Lord, in the word tonight. God, we ask that you would make us a fervent people, fervent in spirit, not lagging in diligence, serving the Lord completely. Search our hearts, God. See if there be any wicked way in us. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing this song and end this morning. Oh, to Jesus I surrender all. To Him I freely give. I will Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. Oh, to Thee, my 
said. Amen, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in Jesus. Bye-bye. Thank you, Lord.